Let's talk about hard money because I hear people say all the time, there's no one you can go to to get loans on land. And it's certainly a few and far between, but welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a really popular and important topic, which is financing land deals. Uh, before getting into it, Mason, how are you doing today on this Monday? I'm doing great. It's August when we're recording this, and uh, last week we had a lot of fun, or I guess a week and a half before, uh, the big picture blueprint squad went hiking in Aspen, and this week we're going to San Diego, so getting out of our normal thing and talking business. And I'm really excited to talk about this today because this is one of our biggest challenges in business and almost every single other person's challenge in business, not just in the land space, but everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's how to find money and how to structure deals. So it's going to be a great show. Well, yeah, you know, that's kind of the interesting dichotomy because specific to land, it is an inefficient space. It's less uh, well-known, less well-understood, which creates opportunity, but it also creates challenges. As we'll get into, it's easier to get deals, but it's much harder to find affordable capital for those deals, which is kind of the yin and the yang that there is to everything. But yeah, you want to just dive right into it and kind of talk about our experience with uh, financing deals? Oh, yeah. Well, I Dan, you know, you, you bring up the great point of you know, financing land deals is really comp complex or convoluted, you know, from the outside looking in. And it's actually really simple for us. But the benefit of that and the challenge associated with that is why we're able to make a lot of money in this business. Because you can't just go to a bank, you know, you can't go to Wells Fargo or Bank of America and say, hey, I've got this property under contract for $50,000. Look, I've got 10 comps saying it's worth $110,000. Could I get a loan for 50 grand? And use it to buy this piece of land, and they're going to look at you like you're crazy. So, getting started in land, you need to be able to have some sense of capital. And what I started with, and I feel like a good place to get this show started, is I used all my own money. I used a bunch of cash that I had saved up to go buy these lots because a lot of people aren't going to be willing to sell them to you with financing contingencies because land is so hard to get financing on. So, you know, it was great because I was getting to keep 100% of the profit of the deal. But what ended up happening is I would buy buy land and I'd be like, okay, heck yeah, like this is going to be great. And then I'd sell it and I'd feel really rich. And then I'd go buy a bunch of land. I'd be like, well, I have $2,200 in my bank account right now. And if I spend any more money on marketing and these land properties don't sell, I'm going to be, you know, paying freaking fees on my bank account, on my checking account for, for going negative. So that's kind of where I started with it is using my own cash, uh, which is great because you get great returns, but horrible because you cannot leverage and scale your business. Um, Dan, with your first deals, how were you you know, getting money for it? Did you just have a bunch of cash yourself in the bank that you were using to spend money on land or what did it look like? No, I didn't have much money at all. Uh, I had a weird trajectory where I bought a number of rental properties with some of the low and no money down strategies and was already doing okay there, but I didn't have much liquidity. And so there was one or two assignments and then I bought a few really cheap lots for a few hundred dollars, but 
almost all of my first, I don't know, 15, 20 deals, I got a joint venture partner to finance them. Uh, so I guess we could hit on the first source of capital, which is just private money, mm. which can be structured in a variety of ways. But let's start there. Private money, Mason, you want to comment on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the three F's is what I call it. It's the the friends, families, and fools that are willing to invest with you where you can structure it. And I, I think structure or starting off the discussion with specifically joint venturing with private money is, is probably perfect because I think that's the bread and butter of a lot of people's businesses. And what that means is, you know, you are the deal finder, you're the deal manager, and you are going to seek out money from maybe your parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles or friends or college buddies or acquaintances that have extra cash sitting in an account and say, hey, you know, we can use that deal of, I've got a piece of land that I am looking to purchase and resell. The property is worth about $100,000. I have it under contract for $50,000. If you give me the $50,000 to buy this land, I'll give you a percentage of the profit split. And that could be 10% of the profit split or 20% or 50% of the profit split. And whenever the property sells, you pay them back their cash and then you pay them back the money that they earn from the profit split. And then you take the profit split without having to provide any cash. But there's a lot of ways to structure that. So Dan, at the beginning of your business, how were you structuring your joint venture deals? Yeah. So there are a lot of ways to talk through here, but when I was new, I was still learning. And the person that was financing, well, of course I was still learning, but I was, I was really a novice and I wasn't confident yet is what I meant to, to emphasize there. And so the person that was financing my deals was also in effect my, my uh, consultant that was helping me make sure I wasn't making a mistake. And so we just, he, I found the deals, he funded the deals and we split them 50-50. Now, in hindsight, that is outrageously expensive private money. But, but number one, it got me started and it doesn't mean anything in hindsight. But number two, if you're new and not very confident in your ability to comp and be sure you're buying a good deal, that can be well worth it. Giving away half the deal to have a second set of eyes. Uh, number one, uh, make sure you're, you're purchasing a, a good deal that you think you are. And then number two, making sure you have no risk by putting up all the capital for you. So that's how I did it. Just oh yeah. Well, let's let's get into the nitty gritty of the contract, though. Of okay, so was this a, con a joint venture agreement between your land company and the individual? And for each deal, you know who who was on the title? Um, you know how how was that structured? Was it you know the the agreement secured against the land? Walk me through what an actual joint venture agreement from a profit split standpoint looks like. My honest answer is I don't remember how I structured it, but yeah, the proper way to do this, especially if you're new, I shouldn't say proper, it depends on the person and what your comfortability with each other is like, but I've seen this and I have done this myself a couple of different ways. You know, I finance one of your land deals where we just have a contractual agreement and I don't have a lien against the property. I know you, I trust you. I wouldn't care, honestly, if we didn't have a contract. So that's one way. But if this is somebody you don't know well, Maybe you're, you know, only know them on a professional level. I would recommend uh, doing an actual note and deed of trust where just like the bank that finances your house and has, has a lien on your house until you pay off the mortgage, your lender gets a lien on the property 
that has to be satisfied in order for you to transfer title and sell to someone else. So that's how I would recommend doing it if you're new. Yep. That, that's a great way to do it. You know, you have to make sure that your initial purchase agreement has the necessary language in it um, to make sure you can do those types of agreements. But it's, it's actually a really simple contract. Um, you know, and if you're working with a good title company, you're working with a good attorney, if you're in an attorney state, all of that makes sense. And, you know, it's really great where you're right. And, you know, that's why it's called a joint venture agreement of that money's freaking expensive. Where I look at some of the profit splits that I've done with my investors, where they're getting like a 62%, 65%, sometimes 100% cash on cash return. And I paid out one, it was a 65-35 split. It was a very small deal, but I annualized the return and the annual return on that money was over 11,000% um, just because it was such a quick deal. But regardless of that, the idea that you now have someone else's money to put to work for you. So all of the profits that you're gaining from doing these profit split joint venture deals can go towards marketing to go towards getting more deals where, you know, it, it sucks because it's expensive, but it's also cool because you're able to help these friends and family members make a huge return that they would not be getting somewhere else. So I think that's a great way to outline kind of the joint venture partnership. And, you know, you made the points of secured versus unsecured, um, you know, on the loan or on the land and everything, but what about just a loan from private money? So we've got the joint venture from private money, but what about a loan from private money? Um, what do those look like? Yeah. So I've done this a number of different ways. And of course, just like you, as we've gotten further along in our business, we're pushing down the rate that we're paying for money. And so I have a chunk of capital from one investor who gave me uh, it just in perpetuity at 7% monthly interest. That's it. And so I pay her 7% on that capital every month and I go and use it for whatever I might want. You know, I know you've done it a different way if you want to talk to the loans you've done. Oh yeah, where I, you know, it's it's just a promissory note. So I've got, you know, friends and family members that, you know, I talk to them and say, hey, you know, would you rather just give me a loan and monthly interest payments, it's unsecured. It's called an unsecured promissory note. So it's not secured against anything at all. It's just a loan, which is why you can only do it with people you really trust if you're the one uh, loaning the money. But it's really nice because they're like, oh crap, you know, I'm able to give you a hundred grand and I'm going to make 10 grand a year off of that without doing anything. And I just get these monthly pet checks or quarterly checks or however you structure it with the people. You know, I mean, I don't even have late payments built in. You know, it's very trustworthy people that are lending me this kind of money. And I think something that I'm going to kind of emphasize here is what we're talking about is partnering with people and getting loans from people. People aren't investing with us. And I think that's an important term to use because once you start getting into advertising for, hey, invest with me and you can make this return and all that kind of stuff, what you're doing is selling securities and that's how you get the SEC involved and that's how you're uh, going to um, potentially prison, um, not to you know alarm anyone or anything like that. So you do have to be really careful and you know after listening to this episode or during listening to this episode, make sure to get legal advice on how you're structuring your debt or equity deals because you can you know, go the wrong way, which is why this is the easiest way to get started of doing a joint venture partnership with someone or getting private money and doing a secured or unsecured loan where you can shoot, you can go online and get an unsecured promissory note agreement um, and use it with your friends and family. Uh, but make sure to get legal advice on this and 
not break any securities laws because it's uh, it's actually easier than you think to do that. Yeah, that's a great point, Mason. So I'm glad you threw that out there, but it is hard to go wrong with a JV agreement to start. So let's move on then. Let's talk about hard money because I hear people say all the time, there's no one you can go to to get loans on land. And it's certainly a few and far between, but you absolutely can get hard money loans. One of the early deals I did, I got hard money. I think I paid 1.5 points in origination and 11 or 12% interest, maybe not, maybe 10 or 11% interest, which is really nothing. Uh, and I think it was a nine month term max. And uh, it was just a local hard money lender that I've used for new construction as well out of Denver. And so he is not alone. There are other hard money lenders that will do that. So back up a second. What are points? What is hard money? And, um, you know, what will... I'll make you define some other variables of what was the loan to cost or the LTC and what was the LTV or loan to value on that land hard money deal um, or on land hard money deals, if if those are applicable. Sure. Okay. So uh, points are just percentages. So one point of a hundred grand is a thousand dollars, 1%. So 1.5 points. And then, oh man, you're making me try and remember deals from years ago. This was a good one. I think I bought it at 10 or 11 and sold it at 40. Uh, so that one, I guess, uh, loan to cost is how much are they loaning you of the purchase price? 100% because it was such a good loan to value because I was buying it at 25 cents on the dollar. They were willing to give me 100% finance. Uh, and then... Let's see. I believe that answered all your questions, but yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah. They had a note and deed of trust on the property, just like we talked about earlier, turned around and sold it. And that was that pretty simple, straightforward deal. It's on limestone. There you go. There you go. And that, that right there, recognize while a lot of hard money lenders are not going to lend to you because the the problem with it is the the LTV that Dan, Dan talked about or the loan to value. So the loan to cost, on a $10,000 purchase price being $10,000, that would be 100% loan to cost. Some hard money lenders are going to lend at anywhere from 75 to 100% of the loan to cost. Uh, the reason for that, it's really simple. They just want to see that you have skin in the game of, hey, like I don't want to do business with someone that doesn't even have a grand or two to you know put into the deal, regardless of the points on the origination fee of the loan. But um, on the loan to value, that's where it gets more complex with certain lenders. And if they're not in the land space, they might not lend to you because you know you sold that property you know for forty thousand dollars, which would make the loan to cost or loan to value on that twenty five percent, which most hard money lenders on certain deals will look at you know anywhere from forty to sixty or seventy percent loan to value on a um, you know a house flip. But the problem is saying, hey, this is what the actual value of the property is. So if you can find the hard money lender that recognizes, you know what, your comps are accurate. You're right. The value of this property is $40,000. We feel very comfortable on land uh, doing a deal at 25% loan to value and 100% loan to cost. So um, I think that's a great example. And I just wanted to expand on it because a lot of people that might be in house flipping might think it translates exactly. And it does, but it's that loan to value number mm -hmm. where I feel like a lot of lenders might get held up with uh, land flips. Yeah, agreed. Well, okay, we talked uh, about hard money. Have you done any seller financing deals where you've purchased uh, with seller financing? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, um, just recently, uh, like a month or two ago, I had a buddy, um, do a deal with me where he financed, uh, pretty much a hundred percent of the purchase cost. And we did a 65, 35 profit split, 65% to me, 35% to him. And then I sold the property on terms. So, uh, we purchased the property. Now I'll make math easy. Uh, purchased the property for 10 grand, sold it for 32,000. Uh, and you know, they did $10,000 down. So after like realtor fees, after closing costs and everything like that, I only got, I want to say five or 6,000 cash back, um, on that down payment. And, you know, for me trying to keep business as simple as possible, I wanted to pay off my JV partner as quickly as I could. So rather than, Hey, here's your cash back. Here's 60% of it back. I'm going to give you X number of dollars per month for the next two and a half years until you get all your capital back. I ended up just paying him back 35% of what the total profit of the deal less interest rate was. So, you know, it was however much profit there was on that deal, uh, 15,000, 16,000 or whatever. I think he ended up netting 5,600 or so on the deal. I just forked out that extra 10 grand, you know, the five grand I got back an extra 10 grand myself. And now I'm getting 450 bucks a month for the next five or six years on that deal. So it was a little bit different. And, you know, I recognize, you know, yeah, you don't want to always use your own money in deals, but, you know, I just had to pay essentially $10,000 to make $6,000 a year, which any investment that looks like that, you know, that's a gold standard in my eyes. So it's recognizing that regardless of if you're using other people's money, you know, you want to have enough liquidity in your business to where if you have the opportunity to do a deal like that, because my guess is that property would not have sold as quickly if I had not offered owner financing on it. And I'd probably be stuck with it as versus shelling out 10 grand and, you know, just getting monthly cash flow. Yeah, no, that's a great deal. Uh, and I'm sure your ROI on that is astronomical. But yeah, no, it, it, it felt good. Um, you know, and I, I think that's, you know, the way I've done it using private money, but I haven't actually purchased a property with seller financing and then sold it. Have you done that? No, I've purchased rental properties on seller financing. I have not purchased land on seller financing, but guys, this, honestly, it's foolish that I haven't explored this more as I sit here and talked about it. There are so many lands that bought this 10, 20, 40 years ago. And even if it's just you know, let's call it a, a one-year loan where you then have the property in your name, you make interest-only payments, and it just gives you time to go and flip it. This is endlessly flexible. The point I want to make here about seller financing is, number one, there are no rules. And so like the property I bought, it was a rental, it was a house, but it's 3% seller financing, two years interest-only into a 15-year permanent note, 0% down. So you can create whatever terms that both you and the seller agree on. So if you build a good rapport with someone who bought this land years and years ago, and let's say it's worth 100, they bought it at 10 and you give them 50, you could structure a deal where you put nothing down, uh, pay monthly interest at whatever you agree on, and then have it in your name so you can go flip it. And then in effect, you got a built-in lender from the previous seller. And so this is something that it's always worth bringing up to the sellers. If they're not in a rush, if you have a good rapport with them, and if you don't have cash or solid private lenders to, to finance it for you. That's so 
it's the funny thing of whenever we talk about something that neither of us are doing, you know, it's, it's the idea of arbitrage and where you can do that in so many ways. And once again, you know, talk to an attorney to make sure you structure it right where, you know, I, I like the 50 and hundred thousand, you get this property under contract for 50,000, let, let's say 10% interest. So 10% interest only payments for the next, however many years, you know, do it on a five-year note or something like that with interest only payments on that that would be four hundred and like twenty bucks a month or so that you're paying to the seller, and you could wrap around and sell it for, and do a seller finance deal on the back end, and say do twenty five percent down, ten percent interest for ten years, where yep. you can take that down payment, and you can you know maybe make a big chunk and pay off the seller a little bit or you can just use it in your own business for cash and then you're paying the seller back those monthly interest payments with the interest payments that you're getting on it so it gets a little complex and you need to make sure you know you don't have all sorts of you know due on sale clauses in the original seller finance deal and stuff like that which is where you have the attorney you know create the note and deed of trust and everything like that with how it's structured but you can you know you hear about Airbnb arbitrage and how people will go you know, rent an apartment for a thousand a month and then charge two thousand a month on Airbnb for it. It's the exact same thing, except you're actually owning it. And you can lease the land too. I mean, there's land leases and stuff. And I won't go down fifty different rabbit holes, but um that is the cool thing about this business is you really can uh get really creative with it because there's not the, you know, not as many traditional or institutional financing methods for the deal. Yeah. No. Uh, agreed entirely. So let's move on. Beyond seller financing, you can get really creative. And so I can talk about the one we're working on right now. Uh, so this, in effect, is a way to joint venture with the seller. And so I've heard different terms for it, but let me kind of lay it out. And we're working through this right now. So this is a problem we're working on solving today. We have a lot. We have a lead on in North Carolina. The seller bought it for 168000 He got a killer deal. This is one that's really hard to comp, but it's in a highly desirable area. And our realtor says a low end, it's worth four fifty, high end six-ish. And that's with uh, a pretty a decently expensive survey and soils test. We can put about fifteen grand into it. And this seller says he doesn't have the money right now to go do the survey, do the soils test. And he'd like to see that done and, and it uh, improves to the highest and best use, but he's not going to do it himself. And so what we're working on doing is putting together an agreement and, and we're negotiating right now and figuring this out where, okay, Mr. Seller, or making it easy, pretending Mason's a seller. Okay, Mason. Well, at 250 uh, and above, we split all profits. So we're, we're going to put the money in to get the survey done and get the soils test done. And then we're going to go sell it on the market with a realtor, 250 or less, all yours. And then above and beyond that, because we did the work, we put in the money and we uh, did the marketing, so on and so forth. We're going to split the deal. And, and we're working again on negotiating those terms exactly. But I, I've seen this done as far as the actual tactical contracts you use and how you take ownership and so on. Uh, Novation agreements are one version of this. I'm looking at a few. I'm talking to because it's North Carolina, so you use attorneys. You don't use title companies. 
I'm talking to our attorney right now to figure out the best way to structure this. It's going to vary from place to place. But point being, that is an example where it made sense to pitch a joint venture agreement where we do the work, we put in the additional capital, and then come up with some sort of uh, participation in the upside with this seller. So that's something we're working on right now. That's insane. That's uh, I mean, it's such an amazing strategy right there where, because the thing is, you know, and we've talked about it in, in one of our first episodes about, you know, the different avatars that you're going to be working with, where, you know, you have to be working with a more sophisticated seller on a deal like this. I think that if you're working with Joe Schmo that doesn't understand the value of land, just wants to get it off his hands, you know, you, ju- you just purchase it. But in a deal like this where it's like, you know, like, I don't need to sell it because my carrying costs are nothing on it and I own it free and clear. You know, which make sure they own it free and clear because it gets more complex if they have a loan on it and there's due on sale clauses, yep. which just look into that and make sure. But that right there of, hey, if you fork out 10 or 15 grand, do a 50-50 profit split or whatever profit split at the end of the road, I mean, that's a lot cheaper than paying $160,000, $180,000 for the land. The seller ends up making more money and you end up making you know, potentially a little less money, but your basis on it is so much lower than having to figure out if you were doing a profit split and had to do all this stuff. So it's it's another really creative strategy that you can use in leads that you might not thought you might not have thought would work out. God, you know, I, I think about it and I, I don't know realtor laws um, very well. You know, I'm not a realtor, Dan's not a realtor, but you know, I think about this from a realtor perspective of generating leads and going out there and working with clients like this to get really great sales. But, you know, say on this deal of this property that's worth $100,000, say the seller would do it for 75K and say, hey, well, you know, what if what if we did a joint venture, you know, and I worked with someone to do it and manage the entirety of the deal and we could sell it for 100,000, we did, you know, 50-50 profit split where on a deal like that, you think about it of, okay, there's 25 grand in potential profit. And then, you know, so you take out 12 grand for realtor commissions and fees. So now you've got uh, 13,000 in profit where you're getting, you know, on the deal that he was willing to sell for 75,000, he's now getting 82,000 and you're getting seven grand on a deal that would have made you nothing. Um, so there's a lot of ways to get really creative with financing it and having the seller be the financier. Yeah. And that that's the point. It's really just making the seller your financier. That's a good way to put it. And again, you need to speak with a local attorney to get this structured correctly as we're doing but uh, it's a little easier in North Carolina when it's an attorney state. Uh, so, Mason, did you have a specific deal like uh, mine there that you want to talk through, illustrating creative finance? Yeah, I, I think um, you know, use, using a um, a lender and then selling on seller financing is you know kind of my creative strategy of being able to get you know monthly payments with you know for not that much money down. But I think it's the recognition. I've, I've got a few where. It's all been private money for me at this point in doing these joint venture deals. So I can walk through them all and on deals as much as purchasing for three hundred and fifty thousand, doing profit splits for you know fifty fifty, where you know I put in a little bit of cash. You know, it's it's all the kind of same. But Dan, I know uh, that you have a line of credit that you've used to purchase land, right? Oh yeah, great point. I have a couple kind a quasi wrap with a line of credit, so. I had two lots in Palm Bay, Florida on New York Ave that had been sitting for a while. So we decided to offer seller financing. And I had these financed via a private lender. 
So a little bit harder to sell on terms, but we got a solid full price offer, 10% interest, 10,000 down. And that's hard to say no to, but that's the beauty of arbitrage, right? Having access to cheaper capital. So I have a 100K line of credit at 6% that I hadn't touched. And so I pulled from my line, to pay off my investor, give him a decent return. Uh, and then I'm not pulling anything out of my pocket. And the interest on the note that I originated is 4% higher, plus it's interest on the principal, plus the uh, actual profit. So a substantially larger chunk of money. And then I just used my line of credit to cash out my investor. So I'm making a substantial return on that every month. My line will get paid off here. I don't know. I forget in a year or whatever uh, if I want to. And uh, I get a nice return on two solid lots and they'll keep paying me, I think, for th four years. I forget how long. Dive into that. How how did you get that line of credit? 100K line of credit at 6% interest is, I mean, that's great. You know, you look at your credit card and you see this APR of 22, 26%. How did you get a 6% on a hundred grand? Is it secured against anything? Is it just you go into a bank and then how do you actually draw from it? What are the technical aspects of saying, hey, I have this line of credit, like give me money from it? Yeah. So that one is just secured against one of my rental properties. So it just has a lot of equity in it. And even if you don't have rental properties to get lines of credit, I was able to get that same bank to give me a 25K unsecured line of credit. Now the banker liked me, you know, I, I had, that took time, but it just emphasizes the importance of relationships because even if you don't have rental properties, if you go and talk to local banks, you start an account with them, you open or put some money in there, you can often get small unsecured lines of credit. And I think that one was nine or 10%, which is still nothing compared to the returns on land. Yeah. Well, I mean, you hear it of our, our investors that are making, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60% cash on cash and 100,000, 10,000, 11,000% APR or in, annualized uh, percentage return um, on the deals, a nine or 10% line of credit at 25 grand is fantastic. So mm. I think that right there kind of makes me want to pivot a little bit into the alternative investment vehicles that your potential lenders or joint venture partners can utilize, such as their own HELOC or their you know home equity line of credit, uh, kind of like what Dan has with a rental property where you can actually borrow against your own personal residence and get a line of credit. Or you know, retirement accounts. I have lots of investors that are using their IRA um, or, you know, individualized retirement account or self-directed IRA. And I mean, there's all sorts of different ones where, you know, I've got a bunch of money in my IRA and you know what I can't invest in is my own deals, but I can use it to invest in other people's deals um, because it's just uh, asset diversification. So I think you have to, whenever you're approaching these uh, potential people, um, you know, the friends, families, and fools from the private money to kind of circle back to the beginning of the conversation of, hey, you know, what are you getting annualized in your 401k or your IRA? You know, you can't take it out of a 401k, but you can roll it into an IRA and do this. What are you getting on your savings account? It's like, well, you know, would you be interested in giving me a 10% interest loan or partnering with me on a deal that you'd probably end up getting 30, 40%? So recognize that you need to know all of these different technicalities. You don't need to know how it works. You don't need to how understand exactly how do you get someone's IRA, you know, the cash from it, you know, into your account because you're not a financial advisor. You don't have 
you're not assuming fiduciary responsibility necessarily over some of these people. So that's where you encourage them to talk to their financial advisor and you can talk to their financial advisor. But recognize there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines not doing anything. And if you can secure it against real estate, you can make a lot of people in your network happy. And what ends up happening, you know, Dan, I'm sure this has happened to you, is I've had people invest with me on small deals that I've proven the concept to them. And then the next deal they invest in is 10 times as big and their family's investing and their friends are investing and everyone else is or partnering with me. You know, it's cool to see the way the network grows if you can prove yourself to them. Yeah, absolutely. And so to that point, one final point that I would like to make is above all, you need to always take care of your investors. So you need to put their money above your own money always, every time, and that will pay you dividends in the future. You know, even if you mess up, right, making sure that your investors taken care of and getting a return gets a return is well worth it. Uh, so that's really the last point I want to make with all of these strategies, take care of the person because this is a really small world. And if you don't, you will be out of business very quickly. Right on, right on where, you know, it's the idea of, we say it a lot of do the contracts, do the agreements, and then operate as if it was a handshake deal. And my last story on that point is I had an investor, we said 65-35 profit split with a minimum 15% annualized return. But I looked back at my email and I said 15% guaranteed cash on cash return rather than annualized. And so I forked out the extra couple hundred bucks to make sure that it was the 15% cash on cash return because it wasn't quite that on the profit split. And now they're going to be doing deal after deal after deal with me because it's like, it's in my books, it's a rounding error. And in their books, that's several extra hundred dollars that they got on the money that I didn't have to put into the deal. And by doing the right thing and making sure I eat last with these people is the way that you get the repeat people. Because, you know, Dan and I are still, we still have a lot to learn, you know, regardless of any expertise that we have, you hear the cost of our capital. And, you know, our goal is to continue to get that capital cost lower and lower and lower. But the objective for both of us is get it done, help all these people along the way. And then you're going to be able to have a track record that makes it so where you can go to a private equity company or a family office or a bank and say, yeah, I need 20 million. And they're not going to laugh at you because you've done $20 million of deals in the past two years. But mic drop, mic drop moment. So Dan, this was a ton of fun. You know, it's something that's constantly on our minds. It's constantly on everyone's mind within the land space or the real estate space where, you know, where do you get this money? How do you structure it? And so hopefully this was helpful to everyone. Uh, But this is Mason McDonald and Dan Habercost with the Big Picture Blueprint signing off. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.